Welcome, this is Josh Rees with Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. For more information about our church, please visit our website, milehighchurch.org. Why do you sell yourself for so little? You who are so precious in the eyes of God. Why do you sell yourself for so little? You who are so precious in the eyes of God. From Rumi, of course. Nothing to do with today's talk. (laughs) But I have been nurturing that in my heart and I wanted to gift it to you. Maybe it will have some value for you as well. I would like to tell you a story, if I may. Long ago, long before the earth is the way that it is today, there were two brothers. Now, these brothers were not of the race of humankind, nor were they of the old gods who were high upon Mount Olympus. These brothers were titans. The elder brother's name was Prometheus. The younger brother was Epimetheus. And I have to give you some background, sort of a context, so you fully appreciate and understand this story. Humans were not as they were today. They they were more like animals. And Prometheus and Epimetheus would would tend to them in a variety of ways, would, would, would take care of humans. And Prometheus got this idea that if humans had fire, their lot would be much better. Life would be much easier. So he went to Zeus, the all-father, the king of the gods, the father of the gods, and asked if, if he might give the humans fire. And Zeus was like, no. If we give the humans fire, they might become so industrious and develop and advance that someday they will have no need for us and they will overthrow the gods. So no. No fire for the humans. That didn't go over well with Prometheus. So he decided he would go behind Zeus's back and one morning steal fire from the sun. Bring it to the humans. And that's what he did. Taught the humans how to use fire, how to cook with it, how to be industrious with it, make tools, etc. Taught the humans many things about agriculture, construction and horticulture, etc., etc. And really, really, it could have been the beginning of an amazing golden age. Except for Zeus. Zeus was kind of what you might call your traditional great big daddy sky god. You know the type. Patriarchal, arrogant, vengeful, controlling, domineering, vengeful, and let's be honest, had some anger management issues. That was Zeus. So when Zeus looked down upon the earth one day and saw the humans in their homes, their, their, you know, their increasingly elaborate homes with their fires and cooking and their industry and sheep grazing on the hillside and grain growing in the fields, he was angry. And he said, who has done this? And someone yelled out, Prometheus. 
That young titan? Why, I will punish him. As for the humans, the puny humans, let them have their fire. I will make their lives ten times worse. And this was his plan. He called forth his blacksmith, Hephaestus, who could craft anything, indeed who had, who had created much of, of the world. And he, he commanded Hephaestus out of clay to craft the most beautiful woman conceivable, the most beautiful woman imaginable. And Hephaestus did. And Hephaestus brought the form before Zeus and the other gods who are high up in their clouds on their mountaintop. And Zeus said, come, let us each instill in this form a goodly gift. And he gave the first by breathing life into this form. Well, others stepped forward and they contributed their gifts. For some, it was adding to her beauty. For others, it was intelligence. Another gave wisdom. Someone gave quick wit. Another gave skill with spoken words, skill with song, and many, many gifts. And someone gave the gift of curiosity. And they called her Pandora, all gifts. Pandora. And Hermes, the messenger of the god, led her down the mountainside to the dwelling of the two brothers. And there they met Epimetheus. And Hermes called out, Epimetheus, Zeus bids you to greet Pandora. Well, Epimetheus was so taken by her beauty, her kindness, her intelligence, her wisdom, all of these amazing qualities, that he instantly fell in love with her. He invited her to his home, and after an appropriate amount of, amount of time and mutual consent, asked her to become his wife. And she said yes. And she had a good life. She was happy in her life. But there was this one thing. See, Zeus, as she was leaving, Zeus had given her a golden box. Beautiful golden box. But it was sealed tight, it was shut tight. And he said, there are many precious and wonderful things with inside. Here, take this gift. Well, Athena, the queen of the air, she warned Pandora. She said, do not ever open that box, nor even dare to desire to look upon what lies inside. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well... Pandora's curiosity aided her every day. She, she kept that box up on a shelf, but every day she would take it down. She was like a kid with a Christmas present, you know, shaking, trying to see if, you know, there was no wrapping, but, you know, could she peek inside maybe just a little bit? And she put that back up on the shelf. But her mind was always going to it. Why would Zeus give me a gift that I couldn't have nor even look upon? Pull that down. Look at that box. Curiosity getting the better of her. Well, maybe Athena is just jealous. Maybe she doesn't want me to have the gift because maybe it would enhance my, my beauty or my other good qualities. That's it. And one day, curiosity got the best of Pandora. She took that box down. And she was just going to open the lid just a little, just a little bit. And she did. Boom! 
off that lid flew, and in a, in a whirling, raging, wailing sound, out sprung and flew and crawled thousands of tiny creatures with grotesque, misshapen faces and sharp, bumpy, spiky bodies. They flew and they flew around the room, screaming and wailing and cursing, biting and poking and scratching at Pandora. No one had ever seen creatures like these in the world. And you have to understand, as I told you, up to this point, humans were living rather simply. But they also enjoyed the peace and the tranquility and the harmony of that simple life. Well, these creatures spread out into the world in all directions, and they clawed and burrowed their way into the hearts of men and women and even the children. And they sowed the seeds of separation that came to be known by many names, anger, despair, doubt, envy, jealousy, greed, sorrow, sadness, worry, viciousness. Oh, Pandora, what have you done? What have you done? She lied there on the ground, weeping, stung and bitten and scratched. And suddenly she noticed a slight movement in the box. So quickly she grabbed the lid and, and, and went to slam it down so that she might keep at least one of the little creatures from coming forth into the world. And just as about she, she was to seal that box shut, she noticed a faint glow, a little light. And the moment she saw that light, her heart, which had been filled with despair, suddenly was renewed, was lightened. And she witnessed as this tiny creature rose on delicate gossamer wings with a light equally delicate, and yet she sensed somehow enduring and eternal. And she realized that this one, so unlike the others, was called hope. And it spread out into the world. And this is the state we find ourselves in today. A world plagued with suffering caused by the belief, the seeds of separation. And hope, hope still shines, but it needs to be tended and nurtured, cared for. And this is our lot, our duty. We are called to be stewards of hope. We are called to nurture and maintain hope that its light may not be removed from this world. Hope lives or dies in the human heart. And so it is. So what is it to be a steward of hope? Well, first of all, I have to make a, a little distinction, or I have to point out the relationship between hope and faith. There are many different opinions, many different viewpoints on that, and it kind of matters which viewpoint you hold.
There are some who see hope sort of as a precursor to faith, like kind of a wishy-washy faith, like, well, I hope, I hope it works out. I don't know, but I hope. And, and like and Dr. Holmes, that's, you know, he even talks about in the Science of Mind textbook, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're, you know, conviction. We approach things with conviction and knowingness. But that's not how I see hope. I see hope and faith like two sides of the same coin. Faith is of the mind. Hope is of the heart. They're both important. And I'm just not making that up because, you know, that's what I want. I'm drawing upon the work I've done in particular with the prayer of St. Francis. Beloved, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. We need both. Hope is of the heart. And it lives and nurtured in the heart. Maybe you've had this experience. This is how I experience hope and despair. So despair is like a ball being deflated. You know, that, <sighs> really, again, we got we to gotta deal with this. Why is this happening? <sighs> but hope is like an inspiration. Ah, <sighs> Okay. I got this. Okay. <sighs> so what does it mean to be a steward of hope? Well, let's continue on that analogy of, of, of a light in the heart, of, of, of a small candle. Imagine a small candle, small flame held there in the heart. What does a candle, a flame, need to, to continue, to prolong, to be nurtured and nourished? What does it need? Well, it needs to be protected be sheltered, right? If I have a, a little candle flame out here, a little light, and the, the, the winds are racing about and poof, gets blown out. Likewise, if I'm constantly buffeted by the winds of, of despair and bad news and negativity, poof, my hope gets extinguished. Okay? And I have to give it fuel. I have to nurture it, right? A candle needs oxygen. It needs some kind of fuel, oil or wax or whatever. So it has to be nurtured. It has to be fed continually, continually fed. And the purpose of a candle is to illuminate, to shine. So I have to let my hope shine into the world. I have to let it illuminate around me. So let's dig a little bit deeper into these three things that I'm inviting you to consider as you go about the business of being a steward of hope. First off, minimize the hopeless. Minimize in your life that which makes you hopeless, that which steals and drains your hope. So for instance, for me, I noticed I had this nasty habit I don't even know how I slipped into it. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd grab my phone, first thing, sometimes I wasn't even out of bed, start going through social media. 
Start going through the news feed. Hey, you know what's coming today? I got to be informed. I got to be up to date. Hey, I noticed I was starting my day with a sense of despair. <sighs> okay, woo. Let's get about the business of the day. Woohoo. No, no. I've cut that habit out. So I'm going to give you like 15 seconds here. What is the one thing? that makes you hopeless? What person, situation, activity, what's the biggest drain of hope in your life? This is your time for quiet reflection. Cut it out. Get rid of it. Good riddance. Or minimize it, change your relationship. I get it, that can be hard. Hey, it's a family member. You gotta do, it's too important. This is too important. You cannot let your hope continually be drained. Whatever that one source is for you, that biggest hopeless thing, get it out of your life, minimize it, or at least change your relationship to it. Okay, next point. We've got to maximize that which makes us hopeful, that which fills us with hope. Now, for me, there's, there's a number of things, but the, you know, the three that come to mind are gardening, being out in nature. I'm always amazed at the tenacity of life. A while back, I think it was like two years ago, Dr. Barry gave me a small beefsteak tomato plant. We're both kind of gardeners, and I, I, he's done it longer than I have, so I'm learning from him. He gave me a little, little tomato plant from his, that he grew in his greenhouse. And I took it home, and it was like March, so you know, it wasn't time to plant yet. But I, I'd keep it in the garage at night so it was warm, and then I'd bring it out on the, the backyard, our porch, so it could start to acclimatize and you know, be ready for planting, say, the end of May. Well, I came out one night to take it back inside. A rabbit had got to it. I had a pot and about that much stem. And I don't know what it was, but I didn't throw it away. I kept it. I kept taking it in, bringing it outside. And, and when end of May got here, I planted it. And wouldn't you know, by the end of the season, that thing had grown to about that big. And it had one tomato on it. It was like the Charlie Brown tomato plant. And what was funny was, you know, it was a beefsteak thing, but that was like a cherry tomato. But by God, it did the best it could. And that was amazing. That filled me with hope. Another thing, my family, my wife, my son and my daughter, they give me hope. I get a front row seat into the drama of their lives. And they have and we have our challenges, our demons and our struggles. But I get to witness the way they stand up, the way they show up every day, the way they face the things that they're going through. And especially with my son and my daughter, it gives me great hope for the next generation, when I see what they've gone through, when I see how they navigated the pandemic as young people, gives me great hope. And this teaching, this teaching gives me hope. And I'm, you know, not just saying that because I'm a minister and, you know, it'd be kind of weird if I didn't. This teaching has been such a foundation for my life and the life of my family. It's amazing. I'm going to give you 15 seconds or so. What are the three main sources that come to mind in your life that make you hope 
full. People, situation, activity that fill you with hope. So my question for you is, are you nurturing those sources? Are you going to them on a regular basis? Are you appreciating and acknowledging them? I mean, if it's a person, have you gone to that person and said, you know what? You really fill me with hope. And I want to thank you for that. If you haven't, you might want to do that. Nurture your sources of hope. And then three, we've got to let our hope shine. It's not just about maintaining hope. It's about sharing it. It's about spreading it. What would it take for you to become the source of hope to another? Your light is meant to be revealed, not concealed. Do not light a lamp and then hide it, but rather lift it on high for all to see. Now, for me, obviously, this community is an awesome opportunity for me to shine my light, right? I mean, hopefully I'm doing that right now for all of you. And, and many of you, you may not have a platform like this in your life, but you encounter people presumably every day. How are you letting your light shine? How are you bringing your hope into the world to let it spread to them? There's a congregant in, in this community. I, I won't use his name because I didn't have permission. I, I honestly don't think he would mind, but because I don't have his permission, I, I won't use his name. But he has a habit of writing positive thoughts, affirmations, positive quotes on little stickies, and then leaving them wherever he happens to be. So if he's at a restaurant, he'll leave one on the table or, or put it on the check for the waiter or waitress. Or he'll put one on the mirror in a public bathroom. He'll put one under the buttons on an elevator. He just puts them all over. Imagine how that spreads hope and positivity. I'm sure there's numerous creative ways in which you can spread your hope and let it move on to others. I was going to say infect others, but that sound, you know, the pandemic and everything, I thought maybe it's too soon. <laughs> maybe not the best example. <sighs> One more example I want to give you. We, have, we ripped up our front yard uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago, and we're, you know, we're experimenting with a bunch of things, flowers, and I just finished building this path. Okay, this path goes nowhere. I have no need for this path, except it's beautiful. At least I think it is. It was something that I wanted to do. I was inspired to do it. And I thought, you know, I'm going to build this little winding path through our front yard. I had so many people while I was building it. So many people stopped by and said, oh my gosh, we love your flowers. You know, we walk by your place all the time. Your flowers are so beautiful. And this path looks so great. And I had a neighbor stop by and said, you've inspired me to, to try my own yard project. And she asked about, you know, taking up grass and how do we do that. And, and I thought, yes, that's it. How can I create beauty in this world and simply let it spread? So in closing, are you up for, are you game for a little bit of homework? 
Simon, tell us what it is first. See, that would have been sensible of you. But for those of you who leaped right in, yes. Okay, I hope the rest of you are on board too. Here's your homework. First of all, look at your life. You had a lot of trust there. That was good. Look at your life. What is the one thing that makes you hopeless? Cut it out. Minimize it. Change your relationship to it. Do whatever you need to do so that it does not drain your hope. What are the three things, people, situations, activities, that fill you with hope, that renew you, that cause you to do this? Maximize those. Nurture them. Be grateful for them. Appreciate them. Bring them more and more into your life and visit them regularly. And then let your light, let your hope shine. This world needs your hope, our hope, more than ever. Hope lives or dies in the human heart. We are the stewards of hope. And I hope you join me in being committed to never letting that light be extinguished from the world. Let's pray. Divine Beloved, I am an instrument of peace. Where there is hatred, I sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Beloved, Grant that I seek not so much to be consoled, but to console. To be understood, but to understand. To be loved, but to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. And so I do affirm for each of us in our own way, in exactly the right way, that hope is renewed. It is strengthened. It is gardened, guarded, and protected. Hope does indeed spring eternal. And I give such thanks for this community and all the ways and means in which we show up. Knowing that the light, the lessons, the love, the hope, the faith, the gratitude, the forgiveness spreads out, ripples out beyond the boundaries of this geographical community. And it makes a difference. We 
make a difference. This is my word. And I speak it with confidence, knowing that it is already fulfilled within the mind of God and as such it now works its way into form, works its way into demonstration in exactly the right way. I let it go into that creative process which is the true doer, accepting that it is done. And so it is. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.